The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The blood of the new covenant. Let's pray. Almighty God, it's the blood we need. Lord, only the blood of Jesus breaks the bondage of sin. Lord, today we're going to go into deep water. I ask that you would bring great insight and understanding to our hearts, Lord, not our minds, but to our hearts. Lord, change our hearts. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. What would you think if I said to you, you've had enough of your difficulties and your problems? God wants to do something to change you now, and he wants to do something to bless you. He loves you. And so today you can walk out of this house of God with everything set right. You can be healed. You can be restored. Just claim the blessing and walk out with it. What do you think about that? There are some pieces missing, aren't there? There's some big pieces missing. The message today is not going to be so much a sermon as it is I need to talk with you who are wanting to be mature of heart. The foam and the fluff just won't get the job done. I mean, too many Christians are going to church today across America saying, bless me, bless me. And then they're going to go out and live the same way this week that they lived last week. But their mantra is going to be the same. Bless me, bless me. They're going to pray Jabez's prayer. Prevent all pain. Save me from pain. Just let me be blessed. And then without saying it, what they're really going to be saying is, and let me just have my normal life and let me be happy. Just let me get through this world happy. Well, I can tell you today it doesn't work that way. So how does it work? I want to walk you through some scriptures today. Some of you are going to leave this house today and you're going to say, is is Pastor Ray right in what he said? I urge you, search the scriptures. Don't allow your heart to be deceived by positive thinking, by affirmations that everything is okay when everything is not okay. No more fake it till you make it. We need integrity and honesty in the inner parts. And some of you have been saying for so long, I need a new heart, but you haven't gotten a new heart. You've been saying, I know I'm rebellious against you, God. I don't want to be rebellious, but you go out and you're still rebellious. I mean, we need to get right down at the bottom of this thing. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to use his surgical scalpel 
to cut right down through into the heart of the matter so that we walk with integrity before Almighty God. No more maybe this, maybe that. No more blowing in the wind. We have to know what is our ground of standing before God. I can't say to you today, you've had enough. So if you'll just claim the promise of blessing, you can go out and everything will be all right today. I have no scoops of of Baskin-Robbins ice cream for you. I have red meat for you. That's what we need. We need to get the solid food. Now, for you to understand, some of you were not here on Thursday evening, and I need to back up just a bit and pick up some of what was shared out of the Word on Thursday evening so that you'll be able to understand the context from which this message is being given. Let's walk through this today. Let's look carefully at the Word. And let's see what the Lord God of heaven has for us. We're going to begin in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. The third chapter. Verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You notice it does not say, Today, if you hear his promise, claim it and it's yours doesn't say that. Rather, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not cook your heart to produce stubbornness. That's the literal meaning of the Greek. Do not cook your heart so as to produce stubbornness, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And that word literally in the Greek is reposing down the abode the the place of reposing down well where is my place of reposing down that's my bedroom God is literally saying so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my bedroom there will be no place of intimacy for these people why because they did not know the ways of God. And they kept turning aside to other things. They were unwilling to stay in the presence of God. And so he said, okay, you're not going to ever enter my bedroom. That was Thursday evening's message. Chapter 4. Thursday evening we spoke about verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that Sabbath rest is literally a place of Sabbathing. A Sabbathing. A Sabbathing. What is a Sabbathing? A Sabbathing is when we enter into the bedroom of God. 
That's the place of Sabbathing. And all the commentators talk about this Sabbathing as the place where we're going to be in heaven. I'm sorry, I want it now. I want to enter heaven on earth now. I want to be in the presence of God now. I want intimacy with God now. And how are we going to be allowed to enter into your bedroom? How are we ever going to be brought into your presence as your people and find that place of intimate rest? I enter into the rest of God by taking a promise, any promise. I take that promise and I pray it through. And when I receive the answer to my prayer, I have entered into the rest of God. Now, there's a built-in safety system in this entering the rest spoken of in Hebrews. That safety system is that as I begin to pray into that promise of God, I can't just cheaply claim it and say, thank you, I've got my promise, I'm on my way. Now what's on football? Rather, as I begin to pray into that promise, God first begins to convict me of my sin. And as he convicts me of my sin, and I respond to the Spirit's call, and I turn away in concrete ways from those things that darken my soul, the time finally comes when the Holy Spirit whispers to me, I have now heard your prayer, and I'm prepared to answer it. And at that point, we know we have received what we have asked because we have been heard by the Father. And now's the time to rejoice in the, in the Lord. Now's the time to dance and shout. Now's the time to praise his name because we've been brought into the place of rest. But if you claim a promise and then celebrate before you've been brought into the rest of God, you will never have your prayer answered. So in the body of Christ today, we have taken the promise and we've turned it in to a positive affirmation. We've put a picture of the car on the refrigerator. We've put the picture of the house on the refrigerator and we've said, okay, if I keep saying that's mine, that's mine, it'll be mine, and God will give it to me. After all, I was promised a hundredfold return. What I've just described is witchcraft. The gospel of Jesus Christ promises us the answer to our promises by bringing us into intimacy with God. But to get there, the Holy Spirit has to deal with the rebellion and the sin in our hearts. And every prayer intercession that you begin to enter into, you'll discover that very quickly the Lord will pull you off that intercession and focus your heart on the convicting power of the Spirit in your heart to deal with sin. And as you allow the Spirit to break the power of that sin by the blood of Jesus, then he says, I've heard your prayer and I've answered your cry. And once you gain that position of authority, whether in money or healing or whatever the area, you continue to walk without known sin 
the Holy Spirit will continue to give you that authority to move in other people's lives with the same issue. So one of my questions I must ask you today is what positions of authority have you gained in the Lord? This is what I mean when I say it's time to move on into maturity in the blood of the new covenant by gaining those places of intercession, authority, where I dwell in the intimate bedroom of Almighty God and know in that place that I have authority with the Lord to speak and to pray and to have my prayers answered in the concrete world. The measure of a man or woman's spiritual life is not whether they can shout and spit. It's whether they can go to their private bedroom and get on their face before God and cry aloud to him and have their prayers answered and see things change in the physical realm without touching it with their hands. To see wives and husbands transformed by the power of God, not by nagging, but by going into the prayer closet. To see workmates transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because you're smarter than they are, not because you have the truth, but because you go to the truth in your prayer closet. And then out of that prayer closet, with it hot in your heart, you come forth to give it as the Holy Spirit calls you to pour it out for other men and women. That's our review for today. Now let's go to the meat. Chapter 5, the book of Hebrews. I'll begin with verse 11. We have much to say about this. About what? About the priesthood. But it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God and instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now he's saying, let's leave the elementary teachings and let's go on to maturity. In other words, he has something very solid, something very real he wants to talk about. Do you know what it is? Listen and see if you can begin to catch it. We know what the childish things are. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's, that's the milk. And it is sweet milk. But if someone is 30 years old and still sucking on the bottle, there's a problem. 
If a person is 30 years of old and they're still banging around people and things and they don't know the difference between right and wrong, there's a problem. If when I go home to my wife, I begin to say things that cuts her heart, I haven't distinguished yet between right and wrong. Have you ever noticed a child will do something wrong and you ask and oh, they just tell you the whole story. They even tell you things they don't know they're telling you because they don't know it's wrong. And some of us go into the prayer closet and we just tell God everything. Not recognizing the difference between right and wrong. I mean, I learned this lesson very early as a child. When I was stealing candy and my mom saw the candy disappearing. And she asked, who took the candy? She said, Raymond, come. She sat me on her lap and she said, now, Raymond, thank you for being honest and telling me that you stole the candy. And of course, I was crying crocodile tears. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And she said, but Raymond, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to spank you. Why? I told you. No, Raymond, I have to spank you because I want you to remember there's a cost that has to be paid. Well, I thought because I told her I stole the candy, I was off scot-free. We think we go to God and say, oh, this, I need a new heart. I'm this, I'm that. We think then we're free to go. Now give me the blessings, God. Can I have another piece of candy? No, we're forgetting one little part. There's the spanking. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Read it this afternoon. There's the spanking. So let's look now at, at what, is the, what is the mature piece of red meat he wants to give us the, the meat, that steak that you have to chew. Ever been sick and all they do is give you jello? Until you're so sick of jello, you don't think you can take another bite of jello. No, give me a steak. All right, watch. Verse 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This writer is saying something that's very difficult to understand, but please follow me. As I have cried out to the Lord about this passage, this is what he has said to me. There is a place that is so close to my heart. There is a place reserved for those who are willing to be trained in suffering, who are willing to be disciplined. There's a place in my bedroom 
where you begin to experience the power of my spirit, where you begin to experience the fullness of my spirit. There is a place of intimacy with me where you understand the difference between right and wrong. You're no longer children tossed here and there. You're, you're mature. You, you walk in the spirit. You have the sword of the spirit. And now you're walking in him. There's no known sin in your life. There is righteousness in your life by the blood of Jesus. There is a place that is so intimate and so powerful that once you enter it, if you ever turn back from it, you will never again repent and enter into the presence of God. And you say, how can that be? His name was Lucifer. He entered into the most intimate place with Almighty God. There were the angels of heaven. They saw the mighty God of heaven. They ministered on his behalf. They were his emissaries. They were flames of fire. They were filled with the Spirit. And when they left the presence of God, when they rejected the Lord God of heaven, there was no atonement that could be made to save them. They had been in the heart of God. And after having once been in the heart of God, when you leave, you, do, you can never go back. Now, the reason some of you who have left the presence of God are able to come back, and now your heart is repenting, the reason that's true is that you have always been children. But once you grow up and mature and take responsibility and enter into that intimacy with God, then if you turn back... You cannot repent again. That's what he's saying. Watch, verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it. That is, land that drinks in the Holy Spirit, often falling on it. And that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that has that rain falling on it, and instead of producing a fruit, produces thorns and thistles, is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, and in the end it will be burned. One dear sister who, who is deeply loved by my heart, is not with us in this house. I understand why she's not here, because she knows that once she comes in and begins to submit to the word of God, she is not free to go out and continue her life the way she wants to live it. If she could come and sit in the house of God, listen to an inspiring sermon and be told how much God loves her, and then go out and feel free to live her life, she'd be very happy to be here every Sunday. These seats would be absolutely packed. There would not be an empty seat in this house. If men and women could come in this house and be patted on the back and told how wonderful they were and how much God loved them and how he was pouring out everything for them and all of their wants were being met and they could have that new car and they could have this and that. It's like a baby being told, you can have your bottle now, honey, and you can have your toys and you can have your blocks. Mommy and Daddy will take full responsibility for you. We're going to change your diapers. We're going to carry you to the car. We're going to put you in a car seat. We're going to take care of you. We're going to dress you in pretty clothes. We're going to love you all the time. Babies love that. And babies need that. But 30-year-olds don't need that. 
If we see 30-year-olds receiving that kind of attention, we say, Mom and Dad, would you think you need to institutionalize your child? Are you sure you can bear up under this burden? For too long, the church has been an institution. It's time to grow up. It's time to enter into the bedroom of God and to never leave his presence again. It's time to be under the discipline of God to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil. It's time to grow up in the Spirit and eat the solid food that Jesus has for us. Now, the writer of Hebrews continues in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus went before us who has entered on our behalf. In other words, he's saying, look, as you begin to grow up, there's an anchor, and you've got to get that anchor of your life firmly fixed in the most holy compartment of God. In other words, winds are going to come, and they're going to blow you. But if you have made secure that anchor in the most holy compartment of God you're going to be able to hang on to that no matter what the storm when it comes. A baby can't do that. A baby has to have daddy's arms holding on to it, and daddy's hand has that anchor. Now you've got to get your own anchor in the heavenlies. You've got to get your own anchor in the most holy compartment of God. Without that anchor, you're not going to grow up. You're going to remain institutionalized. God wants us to grow up. Now, he continues in the seventh chapter, and he begins to talk with them about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish people. And so growing up for the Jewish people meant transitioning from the tabernacle on earth to the tabernacle in heaven. It meant transitioning from the blood of bulls and goats to the blood of Jesus Christ. Now they're saying, we want Jesus, but we also want our Jewish ways. We want Jesus, but we want to come and offer the sacrifices on the altar. We want to go through the ritualistic cleansings. We want to continue all these wonderful things that we grew up with. We wouldn't feel like we were godly if we didn't do all of these laws. Oh, Jesus. You know, I just feel better when I follow the law. Never mind that I can't do it. He's saying, regardless of how good you feel in following the law that allows for self-help, he's saying, Look, Jewish people, let go of the self-help. Get that anchor in the most holy compartment of heaven. That's our security. The security is no longer in Jerusalem in the temple. It's going to be torn down. It's going to be burned. You've got to transition to the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. 
And there Jesus is always going to be making intercession for you. So your lifeline is not the church. Your lifeline is in the Holy of Holies. Your lifeline is not your pastor. Your lifeline is in the holies of of holies. It is Jesus, and it's the blood that's gone into that heavenly sanctuary. So there's a transitioning that has to take place in the Jewish people's heart. But I tell you, these entrepreneurial Americans, there's a transition from self-help to the blood of Jesus that we have to make. And I recognize that that crushes our arrogance. It crushes our pride. It crushes our intellect. It crushes our doctrine. And all that it allows to remain is Jesus. Lifted up. Glorified. And so in chapter 8, the high priest, the high priest of a new covenant... Chapter 8, verse 7, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with her forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So the Lord is saying, Look, I'm going to make a new covenant. And in this covenant, it's not going to be outward doing of things. It's going to be a new covenant I'm going to write it in your minds and in your hearts so that you will naturally do the things of God. It will no longer be the struggle to walk in righteousness. It will be the natural thing to do. No longer a constant decision. Will I walk in the way of darkness or will I walk in the way of light? No, the decision is made. It is settled. I have matured by eating the solid word of God. And now I trust in the blood. I know right from wrong. I'm sold out. I have an anchor that goes into the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. I know where my standing is. It's in Jesus. Verse 12, chapter 9, Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The word redemption means to buy back. You go to the pawn shop, And you buy back. And you walk out the door of the pawn shop with what you have redeemed. With the blood of Jesus 
he has obtained eternal buying back of the human heart. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now, please hear me. When we get to the meat in the gospel, it says we no longer have any excuse for walking in sin and rebellion. It removes every excuse. And we have to come clean and declare ourselves. We can't remain back here singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, now bring on the world. We can't sing little children's songs and then say, great, I've added Jesus now to my life. I've got my health club, and I've got my job, and I've got my new car, and I've got my new house, I've got my new clothes, I've got everything I want, and I've got Jesus wrapped up to. Man, what a life. I can have it all. Now, that's childish. It's foolishness. It's lying. The reason that child can say those things is because that child is being carried by their daddy. Daddy's paying the bills. Daddy's covering the cost. Daddy's the one who's responsible. But we're called to grow up. And we're called to be responsible. So that now we begin to understand what the blood did. The blood broke the power of sin over your heart. The blood washed you and made you clean. Not imaginary clean but real cleanliness so that every sin that would rise up in your heart, every evil thought that would rise up in your heart, you now have the authority to go into the prayer closet and claim the presence of God and the promises of God and have that thing broken by the blood. There is nothing that's been withheld from us. All of heaven's gifts, Ephesians, the first chapter, have been poured out for us who have been redeemed by the blood. Verse 22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now Christ has entered into heaven for us. Verse 26, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once and for all at the end of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Says Christ died at the end of the ages. That was 2,000 years ago. Hey, we're living in grace. Every day is a gift. The Lord is slow to bring judgment because he wants all to repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. He did away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, that utterly destroys every excuse for returning to darkness. By his blood, all sin has had its power broken. The only reason we need to go back to sin is because we love darkness. 
because we choose to, because we want to. You see what this does? It utterly destroys and eviscerates every possibility of you or me claiming that we're victims. We're not victims. The blood's been poured out. The blood has done its work. Adam's child, who was deceived by Satan, has had the curtain of deception removed. And now we see clearly that Jesus' blood broke the power of sin over your life. And if that power is still being exercised over your life, you must go to the prayer closet and cry aloud and claim that promise and enter into that holy of holies where that blood can be applied to you. Verse 10. By that will, we have been made holy. Past tense. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, let's be clear. The word holy means to be set apart for a special purpose. The great patience of God is that he keeps looking upon us with mercy and with love and with kindness, and he's saying to us, will you submit to the blood? Will you allow the blood to accomplish the work for which I sent it forth to break the power of sin in your life? You see, his, his heart is not simply to set you free and then have you roam again. His heart is to set you free so you can come and pick up the sword of the Spirit and join the battle against darkness in this world so that he can use you to speak words of truth to your brother and your sister. He can use words of truth to pierce your parents' heart. He can use words of truth to touch your friends and cause them to repent. Instead, we find ourselves, oh, here's my buddy in the mud puddle. I'll go in the mud puddle and play with him. And maybe while I'm in the mud puddle playing with him, I could talk to him about our going and getting clean again. It doesn't work that way. You can't call your buddy out of the mud by climbing in the mud with him. You can't help your buddy by going and sitting down and saying, if he wants to watch television, I'll watch TV with him. You can't get that way. There's no power there. The discipline of God comes on you then. We have to walk before God under this anointing of blood, knowing we have been set free. And the freedom was not for self-indulgence. We were set free to pick up the sword of the Spirit, to enter the prayer closet, to begin to cry aloud for those we love. So let's come to the solid food now. That was all way of preparation. Here's the steak. The writer of Hebrews has been saying all of this to lead us up to verse 19 of chapter 10. And that's why he says, therefore, therefore, brothers, 
know, that's almost like my mom saying to me, Raymond. And really serious, it would be Raymond Cecil Greenley. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews is there, there is saying, Therefore, Raymond Cecil Greenley, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now where's the meat in that? when you get right down to the bottom of everything in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is about the bedroom of God. It's about coming into the presence of God without shame, without sorrow. It is about coming with joy into the presence of God. Now please hear my heart. The Lord wants to bring us into his bedroom. He wants to bring us into intimacy. That's what this is all about. We were stolen away by another lover. And we've served this other lover. He turned out to be a horrible abuser. Nothing that he promised came true. Everything that he said was a lie. He said we wouldn't die and we died. He said, we'd be happy, and we've been terribly sad. He said, we could eat anything we wanted, and it turned to bitterness. It broke our hearts. It caused us to do things and say things that we're ashamed of. But we were bought back by the lover of our soul who is true and faithful, who's never lied to us who has only wanted the best for us. He's always been there for us. He's always been faithful to us. He has never, ever let me down. He's carried me with the arms of love, even though I rebelled against him. Even though I accused him to his face of treating me poorly, he had no words of recrimination against me. All he said is, my blood is enough. All he said is, I love you. The meat of the gospel is that God wants to be intimate with us, not as children, but as adults. You know the love that is between a mama and a little girl. You, need, you know the love that is between a daddy's heart and his little girl's heart. That's not the kind of love God wants with us. God wants the love between a bride and a groom. He doesn't want us coming into the marriage chamber, into the wedding chamber, 
saying, oh, I'm unworthy to come into this place. Oh, look, I'm stained and dirty. I'm unworthy. No, he doesn't want that kind of a setup. He wants to so cleanse us and so wash us by the blood spilled at Calvary that we come into his presence with joy and we're at peace with him because we know we have on clean clothes, not stained clothing. We know we come into his presence and the blood has washed us and made us new. We know we can come into the presence of God and there is no condemnation because we have been washed and made clean and our heart is filled with love and we serve and honor only him and we have disavowed this traitorous seducer who would steal our hearts away. If you want the meat of the gospel, you've got to be willing to marry God. You've got to say yes to his proposal for marriage. And you can't play around on him anymore. You can't have affairs on the side and then come into that marriage chamber clean. You'll go in and you'll be dirty and you'll be cast into hell. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. In other words, after you fully understand what I'm sharing with you today, all excuse for sin is gone. No longer can you claim to be a victim. No longer can you claim, I'm just doing my best and that's all I can do. That's not enough. The blood has to wash us and cleanse us, and heal us, and restore us. Look, this is not a smorgasbord. This is not a buffet meal. This has only two items on the menu. The blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus. That's the deal. So we don't eat the world's food anymore. We eat the broken body of Jesus and we drink his blood. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now look... If you come to Jesus, you don't get a choice about being sanctified or not. The blood of Jesus sanctifies you. Everything in the world begins to look coarse and ugly to your eyes. 
all of those things that before you ran to, now you look at them and you see how grotesque and how ugly they are. You look at Jesus and the more you look at his face, the more beautiful, the more refined, the more wonderful, the more love fills your heart. I've been astonished from the time I was a child. My mother and father gave me a microscope. And I began to collect everything that I could collect to look at under that microscope. And I made this discovery. That everything that was man-made, the more closely I looked at it, the more imperfect it was. And everything that God had made, the more carefully I looked at it, the more perfect it was. God made you. And the blood of Jesus Christ bought you back. And you have been sanctified by that blood. You have been set apart. Now, if you're going to go back to the world, you have to take deliberate steps. Be conscious of those deliberate steps to go back and feast with the pig trough. I pray after this message, your sense of smell will be more acute and it will stink to you. I pray that your eyes will be more opened so that you will see the imperfections and the lies in what Satan would call you to. But likewise, I pray that your nose will smell the fragrance of heaven and that your eyes will see the beauty of the face of Jesus and that he will bring you into that bedroom with himself, that place of intimacy, that you will stand on those promises and that God's word will be fulfilled to your heart and that all doubt, all fear, all self-condemnation will be cast down. All self-judgment will be cast down. That all excuses will be exposed. That it will be utterly clear to you as you look at Jesus that you must either accept him or walk away from him. That there is no middle ground Either you are brought into maturity in Jesus Christ or you are institutionalized in the world church until the fire of hell comes. And he says unto you, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. I've talked with so many people about death and dying. And I hear two very different opinions. There are some who say, when I go to the doctor and I sit before him and I have terminal cancer, I want him to look squarely in the eye and tell me, sir, you're going to die of cancer. You have this much time left. Make your peace with God. And then there are others of the opinion that when they go in and sit down with the doctor, they want the doctor to say to them, look, We don't know what the outcome of this is. We have a treatment plan that we would like to follow with you. And and we're going to do our best for you. Don't give up hope. Now, which side of the camp are you on? Do you want the truth or do you want to be eased into death? What can wash 
away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus What can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus This is my hope and peace Nothing but the blood of Jesus This is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me no You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.